All right, welcome to the Porque Bitcoin podcast, where we take a look at Bitcoin from the perspective of actual economists, coders, and OG Bitcoiners. All right, so in this episode, we're going to get right into some FUD busting. Bitcoin has a lot of FUD even to this day. What is FUD? It's fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Think of fake news to deter someone from getting involved or purchasing something. So the continuance of this FUD, in my opinion, is due to strategy, fear, laziness, misinformation, and misinterpretation. So we're going to be taking a look at a Bitcoin FUD dice. It's a fun way involving dice with Bitcoin FUD busting keywords printed on the various sides of the dice. All right, so what you can do is go to BitcoinFUDDICE.com if you'd like to follow along. So basically, there's a click box where when you click on it, each time a different uh, Bitcoin FUD scenario will come up. And so what I did is I went through all the scenarios and I basically found the responses to the different FUD from prominent people in the Bitcoin space. So without further ado, let's get to it. So first one, we have no leader. Bitcoin does not have a leader. Satoshi Nakamoto disappeared in fear of being called out as a scammer. And now without a business plan, everyone in the community finds it impossible to come to consensus on Bitcoin and its future. All right. So that's like saying gold has no CEO. Having a leader or face to Bitcoin is exactly what you don't want. So Murad Mamadov, sorry if I pronounce that wrong, is the author of The Ultimate Bitcoin Argument. And he has previously stated this by saying, you don't want to be able to cut the head off of the snake, referring to a central figure to go after. So, you know, Bitcoin is not a company, nor is it a fintech app. It is sound, hard money that is permissionless, global, and has decentralized governance. If you look at other coins like Ethereum and Litecoin, they have faces and centralized influence on the direction of their protocols in the future. You know, so if like Vitalik Buterin, the co-founder of Ethereum, if he farts, his minions will do their best to catch it in a jar and tokenize it as like an ERC-20 on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, You know, (laughs) leaders are simply distractions to the goal of replacing fiat. What is fiat? Well, fiat is currency that has no intrinsic value but has been deemed legal tender by that region's government. So we all know what this is. It's the U.S. dollar, the euro, the British pound, and so forth and so forth. All right, so the next one, this one's pretty easy. No KYC. KYC is know your customer. So this is good for governments, but it impedes the flow of money and the free market. The world is becoming a smaller and smaller place with social media and fintech apps. So people should be able to spend their money wherever they choose and with whom they choose to do so. All right, so next we have no Turing, so the completeness. So it says, Uh, Bitcoin is a technological inferior network to its competitors. Satoshi made a terrible design choice 
Developers should be able to experiment with the base layer at will. Um, totally disagree. So I'm going to throw my opinion out there, but this is based on, um, you know, learning from those prominent people. So Bitcoin is highly immutable. So meaning it's hard to change at the base layer. With sound money, you know, you don't want to be able to experiment with its value propositions and the characteristics that make it strong to begin with. And without this rigid consensus that you need to change the base layer, um, bad characters could implement bad changes. The base layer is open source, but you still, like I said, you need these changes to happen across the network. All right, and we'll go over that a little bit more later. So criminal activity. I hear this a lot when I'm, or I see this a lot when I'm searching on the internet. So it says, you know, Bitcoin is is for drug lords and terrorists. This is all it will ever be good for. All right, um, this is an easy one. So the U.S. dollar is actually the most widely used currency in the world's black market. Bitcoin at this time, it's not anonymous. Uh, with chain analysis, a government or a, a law enforcement agency can actually follow transactions, thus rendering it unattractive to criminal organizations. All right, this is a big one that um, we also hear a lot is the minor centralization. So it's mining is centralized. Bitmain, which is a large uh, mining operate mining company owns a bunch of mining pools a 51% attack is near with the click of a button bitmain will destroy bitcoin all right so miners don't have any absolute control or privilege over the bitcoin network there is no difference between them and someone else running a full node Node refers to any computer that's running Bitcoin client software and participating in the peer-to-peer -peer network by relaying transactions and blocks. It could also be mining, but it, it doesn't have to be. So, uh, do, 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 do. so the, we actually had proof of this uh, during the uh, Bitcoin Cash fiasco. So more than 93% of miners wanted to increase the block size in, in their way, and 85% of exchanges wanted to also. But at the end of the day, Bitcoin is this impenetrable fortress of full nodes. Users who run full nodes choose which transactions to approve and what code to run. Therefore, miners can't control the protocol without full consensus. And that is from, again, Mirad Mamadov. And if you actually look at Bitmain, I pulled, I pulled an article about them. Um, they're pretty much bankrupt because what happened was, and so I quote, the company has been putting a lot of money into this coin, which is referring to Bitcoin Cash. So despite the fact that since it has reached its all-time max, Bitcoin Cash has all also lost almost 90% of its value. And Bitmain also lost around $328 million on this investment, you know, into this asset. So, you know, even mining farms are subject to competition. And Bitmain 
made a bad choice. They bet heavily on Bitcoin Cash and they literally paid the price. And another thing is, you know, no one is in control of who is mining. Obviously, it takes a lot of capital and so forth, but more and more mining operations are popping up throughout the world. All right, so um, Bitcoin high fees. So around like 2017, when um, you know we had this huge increase in the Bitcoin value, um, there were a lot of high fees and there was congestion on the network. And so it says Bitcoin charges such high fees that I will never be able to buy a cup of coffee. That ab obviously makes Bitcoin useless. Bitcoin should increase its block size to lower its fees, disregarding the long-term repercussions. Okay, so according to Vijay Boyapati, you need high fees to secure the network. Ultimately, the block rewards that miners get are going to converge to zero. And so without transaction fees, miners have no incentive to mine and secure the network. So you need high transaction fees. Um, so yeah, it, it's, we already have like 17.5 million out of the 21 million that have been mined. So what he's saying is once that starts to dwindle down, um, you know, They'll lose their incentive, but that's where the high fees will come in. And the security of the main layer of the Bitcoin network is of utmost importance. Without that, we don't have anything else to begin with. So he also goes on to say, Bitcoin is actually meant for large value transfers where you don't trust the people you're dealing with. And you want to transfer hundreds of thousands or millions across borders. And so, you know, with with the Bitcoin blockchain, you have the ability to use this mostly trustless network and you can see the transactions on the blockchain. You can see the confirmation. So you it's you don't really have to trust a third party. All right. So um, a lot of no coiners, people that are not invested in any cryptocurrency, they'll go on to say, uh, you know, they're just going to ban Bitcoin. So that's the next one we have is banned everywhere. And then on the BitcoinFUDDice.com site, they go on to say, did you hear that Bitcoin was banned in China six times in the last two months? Surely governments are protecting us from Bitcoin. That is a scam. All right. So uh, Satoshi Nakamoto designed the Bitcoin network as a peer-to-peer -peer monetary system. And he actually mentioned this in his forum talks. Uh, similar to BitTorrent, it has no centralized point. And if you look at BitTorrent today, it's still very well alive. But Napster isn't because it had a centralized point to which it could be shut down as it was. So nodes are spread across the globe. And uh, I'll actually leave a link to a Bitcoin node map, which you can check out that shows the active nodes running around the world. All right, next we have the 21 million cat. And it says security model incentives after block rewards subsidies pose great concern for Bitcoin and its long term viability. All right, Bitcoin has a 21 million supply cap, so sound miner incentives are a ticking time bomb. 
So we actually kind of talked about that already with Vijay Boyapati's, um, with him talking about high higher fees. We'll just transition to that when the time is needed. But um, so the twenty one million cap, you know, that, that's a good thing. That the scarcity is is one of the major things that give its value. So also the fact that Bitcoin cannot be easily produced. Um, you know, if you can easily produce or create a form of money, you have it has poor value proposition. Um, hence why holding your wealth only in fiat money is not a good idea as you're constantly losing your purchasing power. So no matter if you are a mining firm, a person, a company, or a government, you have to do the work to create and mine a Bitcoin, period. You have to do the work. Remember that. So, but what, what this, uh, on this Bitcoin FUD dice, what this is actually more so referring to is that miners are highly incentivized to mine Bitcoin because, you know, for one thing, all the Bitcoin, uh, not all the Bitcoin has been mined. So there is scarcity, which helps drive the price of Bitcoin. And like I said, in the near future, higher fees at the base level will help protect and keep the network secure. And, um, you know, if, if Bitcoin reaches a high value cap into the trillions of, of dollars, um, you know, like for instance, purchasing commercial real estate or something for like a million dollars worth of Bitcoin through the, you're, you're going to use the main chain. So, you know, if you have to pay a few hundred dollars worth or even a thousand dollars, it's not such a bad thing. Because you have peace of mind that, you know, you're using the security of the Bitcoin chain. And, you know, so like keep in, keep in mind, I'm referencing Bitcoin in terms of dollars. But at a high market value, we can begin to understand uh, that value in terms of Satoshis. And what is a Satoshi? Well, it's a, it's a divisible amount of a Bitcoin. Um, it's actually there are actually 100 million satoshis in one bitcoin. So to visualize that, it's like point or it's decimal zero, uh, eight zeros and then a one. That's what is a satoshi. All right. So the next one we have small blocks. Small blocks do not scale. How is Bitcoin uh, going to get to Visa uh, throughput if it is stuck? At a few mega block, uh, mega block block size. So, and what is all this talk about layering? That seems like it'll take too long. All right, according to Murad Mamadov, Bitcoin is not competing with Visa, and he goes on to say, you know, according to him, um, the main layer of Bitcoin is used for large transactions due to the immense security, which we did talk about. Not too long ago. So the second layer and third layer is what can be used for smaller and micro transactions like the Lightning Network, which, by the way, is growing more and more each day. So the Lightning Network is like a it, it's a less secure. It's less secure than the main chain, but allows for faster transactions which will be something that you can actually compare it to um, with Visa and stuff now and in the future. But that's what will be used on an everyday basis for goods and services. But 
according to Murad, Bitcoin is competing against central banks in the issuance of their currencies, like fiat currency, the U.S. dollar, the euro, Japanese yen, etc. All right, next one, we get into deflation. So on the website, it says a fixed monetary supply may lead to deflationary effects. As we know from our Econ 101 class, deflation equals bad. Production cuts, profit losses, and unemployment highs. The list goes on and on. All right, so to answer this, I turn to Safedine Amos, an Austrian economist. And when I say Austrian economist, I'm not meaning that he's from Austria. It's a like economic um, school of thought. And so I took his book, The Bitcoin Standard, and I quote him, um, a theoretically ideal money would be one whose supply is fixed, meaning nobody could produce more of it. With fiat, um, and then end quote. So, at you know, with fiat, we, uh, you know, we know, like Eric Voorhees, which is the founder of Shapeshift. He, when he was debating Peter Shift, um, he said that you know the dollar in your pocket is worth less than the dollar produced, the dollar printed tomorrow. So, you know, that's, that's inflation. We all know that that happens. That's why when you get a pay raise. You know, it might not even cover inflation. All right, so another quote from Safedine. Such a money would also work perfectly well as a store of value by preventing others from increasing the money supply. The wealth stored into it would not depreciate over time, which is what we talked about, uh, inflation. All right, and he goes on to say, uh, incentivizing people to save and allowing them to think more about the future. So sound money chosen on a free market precisely for its likelihood to hold value over time will naturally have a better stability than unsound money whose use is enforced through government coercion. All right. Had government money been a superior unit of account and store of value, it would not need government legal tender laws to enforce it, nor would governments worldwide have to confiscate large quantities of gold and continue to hold them in their central bank reserves. So another quote, this is from Vijay Boyapati. He says, more money does not produce more wealth. So the printing of money does not mean more wealth. Uh, doo -doo -doo. So, you know, with, with the U.S. dollar, the euro, the Japanese yen, you know, they're not good forms of a store of value. And it's, it's why you see wealth is often determined, it's stored, it's, it's like seen in other forms such as real estate, land, gold, artwork, and so forth. All right, so this one's a little strange. It says toxic, toxic fans, Bitcoins are, Bitcoiners, excuse me, are rude and speak their mind far too often. This is a threat to the fragilistas and self-proclaimed experts of the global economy. Uh, I'm just going to throw my opinion out there. Um, you know, like Bitcoin is not conscious. Therefore, it doesn't care what naysayers say. Um, it doesn't even care what Bitcoiners say other than the fact that they can help the network by running a full node. So, and, you know, as long as people are running nodes, the network will continue to produce blocks and thus 
become more secure and robust every 10 minutes, which is the time it takes to produce a block. All right, so next one we have is Bitcoin is the first. As we know from science, Bitcoin will fail because it was the first of its kind. What is the Lindy effect? Surely Satoshi Nakamoto was not right about everything and did not take inspiration from previous attempts, including Hashcash or BitGold. Um, a lot of people actually think that Satoshi Nakamoto is Nick Zabel. I'll get into that at another episode. But he was uh, working on a bit gold prior to possibly being Satoshi Nakamoto. All right, so, but to look at this, the, the Bitcoin network is the most secure. It has the most liquidity and has grown organically for 10 years. It has a network effect on its side, but also the fact that nodes are run across the globe helps secure its governance and decentralized nature. So when it says, what is the Lindy effect? Well, the Lindy effect is a concept that future life expectancy of some non-perishable things like a technology or an idea is proportional to their current age so that every additional period of survival implies a longer remaining life expectancy. So Bitcoin's been around for 10 years and hasn't failed Thus, with the Lindy effect, it would make sense that we expect it to continue in the future. And like I said, every 10 minutes that a block is produced, Bitcoin becomes more secure and robust. So, and this is my opinion. If you if you look at all these altcoins, um, most of them are pre-minted, meaning all their to- uh, excuse me tokens or coins have already been created from nothing. So let's say they've uh, release like 70% of them into uh, circulation in their blockchain and the rest will be released at percentages every month or so. Um, I see the reason that they have done this is because they can't compete with 10 years of organic growth. They simply don't have the time and they're trying to jump in the uh, you know blockchain craze and it's, it's a money grab basically is what it is. And, um, so instead of, you know, doing something like proof of work, they, you know, they don't have time for the tokens to be minted. They want to jump into the action right away. All right. So, uh, this is a big one that was going around energy waste that, uh, proof of work, which is the mining of Bitcoins, um, so it says, do you know how much energy is being expended to maintain the security of the Bitcoin network? The answer is a lot. Um, and then on the site, they kind of responded, uh, thankfully, but thankfully not more than $2 trillion expended by banking systems. So I actually pulled up an article that was published yesterday, and I'll leave a link to that in the description. And, you know, basically it says uh, around the world, There are examples of Bitcoin miners coming up with innovative ways to get more out of their mining units, whether through recycling excess energy or powering them with off-grid renewable energy resources. So creating and maintaining sound money will fuel the use of renewable energy throughout the world. So these miners, they're incentivized to use renewable energy as cost-effective ways to get the most out of their mining operations. So um, this is actually a really good thing. 
um, like I said, so sound money is um, a, a, a good use, using energy to maintain and create sound money, I think is, is there's nothing wrong with that. But what is actually happening is there, it's progressing uh, renewable energy res uh, resources, the technology to do so. So um, that's a win-win in my opinion. And so there we go. We went through the Bitcoin FUD dice uh, the, on the website. And so, like I said, I went through and answered these questions from Bitcoin, uh, prominent Bitcoin people in the Bitcoin space. So I hope that we, you enjoyed uh, debusting some of the FUD on Bitcoin. And if you liked the episode, please follow me. Uh, put some five stars on there. You can actually communicate with me at Twitter at PorkBTC or Gmail at PorkBitcoin. Thank you.